0: Hey, thanks for tuning in to X1039's What's New Now podcast. I'm Crowley, and several weeks ago, I got a chance to talk to Ann Magnuson. How do I even begin to introduce Ann Magnuson? Uh, New York artist extraordinaire. She was manager of Club 57, uh, an experimental uh, artist club back in the 80s. Acting, music, she was in the bands Bongwater, Vulcan Death Grip, and more. And she's one of the first few people to say the F word on Star Trek. An essential part of the experimental scene out of New York and uh, eventually Hollywood. She's just amazing. So, excuse me if I gush a little bit. Uh, And if you want to gush by liking our podcast, by subscribing, by uh, liking our posts about it on social media... Uh, we'd appreciate that too. All right, let's get to it. I am absolutely privileged right now to have the legendary Ann Magnuson on the air with me. <laughs> Ann, can you hear me here now that I've plugged us into the board and everything? Hi. You've had about a million jobs. I'm going to do a, let me do a quick rundown for anybody that's not aware of Ann Magnuson. You've done Everything You managed the incredibly awesome experimental Club 57 back in the early 80s that led to, like, so many incredible art and drag uh, advances. You uh, introduced the world practically to Keith Herring.
1: Well, that's not exactly true. It's but, not. Uh... <laughs> I, I,
0: I loved your story about how when he uh, went up at Club 57 to read a poem uh, and nobody liked it, but you were like, no, you pissed everybody off. That was amazing. And that, like, you... you <laughs> Kept pushing for him and everything.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. It, I back then we loved to piss people off. Yes, as, as many people who like alternative radio are are want to do.
0: Right, exactly. Like that's what feels like it's such a perfect thing to have you on the station and everything because it is a like I feel like I know everybody says original gangsta, but you were like an original punk rocker over there. I feel like.
1: Oh well, that was one of the many uh, costumes that I I wore.
0: <laughs> you wore a lot. I mean. I mean I guess it gets talked about plenty but like you are an an incredible character actor. You've done like I started off watching um oh, I've already forgot the name of it but uh made made on TV.
1: Oh made for TV. That was a video I did with Tom Rubenitz in um well it premiered in 1984. Well I came from I was interested in theater from a very early age. My mother got me involved in that and puppet shows. Ooh. And so I did a lot of puppet shows and theater experiences down in my basement in my childhood home and then I ended up in New York in a basement of a Polish church doing pretty much the same thing but I was always interested in 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 theater and wanted to inhabit all the different manifestations of 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 that experience because why just stick to one thing you know
0: cuz yeah I mean you've acted you've sang full musician you uh performance art. um is there any talent you have that you haven't shared with the world yet
1: procreation (laughs) you know we've spared spared the world
0: kids are expensive man i feel it like i same for me so i'm i'm holding off art is more important than than kids. It's a better legacy to leave, I feel like.
1: Well in this day and age, there are way too many people and the planet is suffering greatly because of it. No. So I'm doing my, my part.
0: We're having you on basically because you've got your new song Ghost Cat on. We're having you on because you're awesome, but like the impetus for this was your new song Ghost Cat. And I noticed uh it's definitely not your only cat song. Would you rather replace a lot of humans with cats? Would you make that choice?
1: <laughs> yes, I could, uh, particularly in the uh, GOP. <laughs> I think if we had cats in Congress, running Congress, we'd actually get more things done.
0: I was going to say, and that's a low bar to clear, which is good because that's all cats can do, or just rub up against the bar <laughs> and everything.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah. So your new song, yeah. Ghost Cat.
1: Well, this is a song. This is a song that um, I performed last year back in my home state of West Virginia for Halloween. Because when I go back there, I figure all the weird stuff I do gets a pass if I do it under the umbrella of Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> but but maybe not because people are a little weirder there than you would expect. Although many people might expect that um, given the news that comes out of there. But I did a show and I had done this song Ghost Cat, and I wanted to do an entire album with the with the band, and the band is consisted of Michael Lipton. And members of the Carpenter Ants and some people who play at Mountain Stage, which is a well-known radio show that comes out of my hometown, Charleston, West Virginia. So I really could only afford to, to record one track, and we—I uh, figured Ghost Cat—and they recorded in, in Charleston, West Virginia. I recorded my vocals here in L.A., and we got Charlie McCoy, the Le- Nashville legend. Ooh. Recorded his harmonica in Nashville, and Don Dixon, who is based in Canton, Ohio, mixed it and put it all together and It's truly a twenty first century kind of uh process, but a very much a traditional West Virginia hillbilly ditty
0: <laughs> yeah well, and that I was wondering about that because obviously, like you moved to New York after college and everything um and then like got into an awesomely weird scene and everything. Did you uh, struggle to express weirdness in West Virginia? I always wondered that. No, what... not no? at
1: all. No, because, hey, West Virginia is the home of Hazel Atkins.
0: Ooh, okay. And,
1: and the amazing Dolores and, you know what, and and Jessica White. You know, we had quite a interesting little, uh, I like to call it, glam rock hillbilly hippie scene yes. going So, all my friends, we were really into all kinds of interesting stuff, and and Bowie was really big, but so was National Lampoon and Rolling Stone magazine when it was, well, it was always misogynistic, but, (laughs) but you you know, all these things, we also had television and radio, some radio, was a portal into the rest of the world, and believe it or not, we had a very good education and great teachers and exposure to really great books it's a whole different they're trying to change that and i think they have considerably but but i was exposed my fourth grade teacher played us peter paul and mary and we learned we were singing protest songs but i guess they didn't really (laughs) you know it was just it it was a unique and interesting place to grow up and beautiful and i'd like to think that that still exists there, but it's in smaller and smaller pockets. Then I went to college in Ohio, and then I went to London for my junior year abroad in 1976-77, and of course was exposed to incredible amount of culture. I had a moped and just tooled around London, going to see plays and galleries and bands, and and watching the whole punk rock movement start and flourish and, you know, grunt and growl and yeah. spit and <laughs> <laughs> So the world the world is full of all kinds of
0: wild and fun, crazy stuff. You
1: just you, you know you gravitate towards it when you're when you're attuned to that kind of thing
0: I think you are especially attuned I do want to let everybody know since you brought up Bowie um that you got to make out with Bowie in a uh, uh, where Bowie <laughs> played a vampire in the hunger
1: yes and we're celebrating the 40th anniversary of that movie on December 5th here in Los Angeles at Zebulon which is a really cool club here um for for something I'm calling goth Christmas
2: <laughs>
1: so we're doing Bowie Bowie, Bongwater, a lot of Bongwater stuff, and Bauhaus and some of my original stuff. And we're going to show the video to Ghost Cat. It was directed and created by my friend Adam Ducas. And that is on YouTube, along with a lot of my other extremely obscure videos.
0: Oh, I man, I've been going through them. Um, uh, especially, I gotta, I'm glad you mentioned Bongwater, just because I know, like for me, I was aware of the song Folk Song and a few others. I didn't realize... That was also you in the new Star Trek show. I believe you're the first person on Star Trek to get to say the F word twice in the show. Oh,
1: isn't that insane?
0: <laughs> I that's love my, it.
1: I guess that's my legacy among certain uh, circles.
0: <laughs> well, and I was wondering about that. So did you have to audition for that or did they pick you up for it?
1: No, I had to audition for they it. They made you audition? I, oh, honey. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody, except for a handful of people, have to audition. Oh, you have to jump through so many hoops now, and honestly, I'm ready for retirement or just do podcasts or something. That's I'm not. It's just too many hoops, and Granny doesn't want to jump through them anymore. I auditioned for them, and I really, I actually, what the part I auditioned for was, oh, um, is the character's name Raffy?
0: Yep, yep. Oh, nice. Yeah. You ever got for Raffi, too?
1: That's the one I really wanted, and I I just plunged in, and I did a full-on Hunter S. Thompson kind of take on it. <laughs>
0: oh, badass.
1: I think that was a little too much, but then they called me back in for the Admiral, and I thought, well, this is, you know, I'm just kind of being the baddie and the meanie, but it's yeah. Star Trek, so I'll give them exactly what I think they want. <laughs> And that's it worked. And I think the big champion I had was Michael Shabon, yeah, Bong, who was a Bongwater fan. So I think he um, he he pushed for me. But I had to get the approvals from. I mean, incredible amount of a hierarchy. That is beyond belief.
0: I'm honestly shocked by that because obviously you were in the band, you started Vulcan Death Grip and everything, so you had Star Trek experience.
1: People in that world don't know any of that, and that's oh. what I loved back in the day. I loved that those two worlds were so far apart. I was doing the sitcom Anything But Love and Gone Water at the same time, and the two worlds, only a few people were aware that I was the same
0: person. Well, that's what's really shocking, because I I didn't get a chance to watch the whole thing, but I I popped into a little bit of, like, Making Mr. Right, and I watched a little bit of Anything But Love, and it's like, man, was it weird to do sort of, like... Quasi normal things like that Sort of standard TV things when you And movie things When you've been kind of Making fun of that For a lot of your career
1: Well no Not really Because I needed a job And I need to get paid You know I yeah. needed health insurance You can't do that Performing weirdness In a church basement <laughs> um, But I wasn't always Making fun of that I mean I grew up on Fabulous television shows In the 60s And variety shows And I loved all that stuff I mean, I loved the vaudeville spirit and performing, and getting to change the channels constantly of your own uh, performance career. And David Bowie was also a beacon of light in in that he did many, many things and had many chit changes. And that was something that I saw other actors doing before I even before David Bowie was even on my radar. And I was in community theater as a kid, playing different parts. And I played Helen Keller when I was sixteen. Nice. And that was a great role. That was kind of punk rock. I say. She- I mean, that was just wild child, and that was <laughs> great for a sixteen-year-old. So you know, it was it's it's all theater, and you I relished the opportunity to play, but to play particularly with. The sitcom to play a character that was very comical. Making Mister Wright, I was more or less the straight person, which was yeah. kind of frustrating because I was so used to being the goofball, the, <laughs> a, a nutcase, you know. <laughs> so it was actually more challenging to to temp to to um, to, to temper all that down and be, you know, the yeah. straight person. So I actually, and I was. The one I was really excited about playing was the uh, blue-skinned goddess in Cabin Boy. Oh, yeah. I My brother and I loved science fiction films and um, all those Ray Harryhausen films. I loved those. So to be a character in something like that, being, yes, very, very diverse characters is is the name of the game. I. It's frustrating when you get everybody gets typecast, and I don't want to be the mean boss anymore. But Ellen Barkin <laughs> had a really good line about first they wanted me to be the sexy. No, what she first she was the ugly chick, then the sexy chick, then the mean old lady. <laughs> 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 and I said, well, if you're going to pay me well, but <laughs> they, they really don't anymore. So it's it's a frustrating world. And, I, you know, the, the, I was glad there was a strike and uh, gave me a break from these auditions because <laughs> you had to audition for everything. So I was able to do all this other stuff, like the, my first audio book, which is the memoir of Anita O'Day, who is a badass jazz singer who had an incredible life. And this new podcast that actually premieres today, Ooh. Ocean Dreams. And I play a mystical dolphin princess.
0: Dude mystical I think that I think we're playing new music for mystical dolphin princess I think that's a band right now so
1: I love them <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to become them at some point that's it that's and then I'm playing I did a lot of live performance this year and just got back to the freedom of doing your own thing now you also make very little money but that freedom mm-hmm. is priceless Is Priceless, and I think that's why those of us who gravitate towards alternative radio, it, it is a, it can be an interesting tightrope when you're dealing with the mm, mainstream world because mm. there are a lot more rules, and you've got to really abide by them. And that was something that I uh, wasn't interested in doing starting as a teenager, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I also have a lot of my dad's Scandinavian practicality in me, and one has to make a living, and in this country, you need to make health insurance, and a yep. lot of acting, the acting jobs, you had to make a certain amount of money, and they made that more and more and more difficult, so I am so happy that I have gotten to the age where I can have Medicare, and I... <laughs> This country desperately, desperately needs health care for its citizens, and I don't see us getting that anytime soon, and that's a tragedy.
0: Yeah. If there's anybody around here that has helped propel at least some people around the country to thinking about things differently— and I, uh, you know, I, I think you're 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 a part of that of just helping helping the weirdos out there kind of be themselves, uh, helping you know people that that don't get recognized by society enough to get recognized, and yeah, the injustices of the world and everything.
1: Well, the culture has really become oh my god, it's just like the Kardashians really turned it into this. Uh, <laughs> toxic narcissistic capitalist bs that that then the republican party has helped they're trying desperately to destroy weirdness Mm -hmm. weirdness i don't even call it weirdness that's normal it's it's people who aren't it's control you know yeah just control 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 and no, thank you. No, I don't like that. And that is a in the world of um mainstream TV and movies, it's a there have been I felt like I was trapped in an iron maiden because it was so there's so many constraints. But that's why I've been able to, you know, I do the live stuff and I do my own music and videos and and you put it out there, and then you find your tribe. And then people—the people who wanted me to play the mystical dolphin princess—just contacted me out of the blue. And the fellow who owns and controls the Anita O'Day estate did the same. And you just um, keep doing your thing and hope for the best.
0: That's that's all you can do, right?
1: And make your own breaks. You know, you have to be very proactive. Yeah. I see a lot of I see a lot of young people doing that so I'm excited that 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 it still exists and they can try to stamp it out but the horses are out of the barn you ain't going to get them back they can try it could get it's going to get very ugly but we got to fight and I might have to resurrect folk songs yes. for 2024 I actually wrote new lyrics for it for folk song 2020 and was going to perform that and do a little tour, but then COVID hit. So, uh, but 2024, I think a lot of the same lyrics can apply.
0: Yeah. Well, and especially just the line about the uh, the AIDS quilt and everything.
1: Yes, and we're we have to fight harder than ever for gay rights and young folks. Let's. Here, I'm I'm uh, rooting for you. Ah. Because that- a lot of us old folks are. We're kind of tired, but we're not going to stop fighting. But we need you guys to go out there and vote and and stand up for diversity and for freedom. I mean, this other side has bastardized the sci- the, the word freedom. Freedom is not about control. It's about uh, openness and acceptance.
0: Yeah, living your authentic self. Precisely,
1: without without guns.
0: Yeah. I hate to do this. We have to wrap up, but I could talk to you for hours, and I'm going to try. If you've got time, I'll talk to you a little bit here off air and everything. We got to do the do the capitalist okay. thing here. Ann, you are amazing, Ghost Cat. The video is on YouTube, uh, and I assume uh, on the other uh, music streaming services. and Everything if people want to check it out.
1: I I know the song is the video. Go to YouTube. Just put in Ghost Cat my name. Uh, it's an epic video, and I did all the drawings of the... the uh, it's, it's a celebration of the different supernatural monsters that uh, are known in West Virginia. And I did the back background drawings, so I was doing all this art. And um, my friend Adam Dugas and I shot stuff on green screen in my living room, and it's very DIY, but boy, did it turn out great. So I'm real happy with that one, so check it out. Oh, great, great. But yeah,
0: Anne Magnuson. You are absolutely a legend. Uh, every- oh,
1: god, thank you so much. That's thank- very sweet. A nice way to start the day.
0: Right. Well, thank you for starting my day this way. It's been an absolute privilege to talk to you. So, um, I'll we'll do the radio thing here and I'll I'll talk to you off air here. So, uh and okay. thank you so much for joining us here on three 1039 Thank you. Can you still hear me? Yes, I can. Okay, perfect. Awesome.
1: Do you know I actually wanted to say I've been to Colorado Springs.
0: Have you? What'd you think of it?
1: I I was there. I was there on a ski trip with my dad and my brother, and uh, we were in oh I don't remember where it was Breckenridge I think, but okay. I think we had to go through Colorado Springs for some reason. But and my brother was meeting a friend there to go off and ski a different mountain,
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and but my father and I we went to that big swimming pool with the the uh, the mineral water. There was a giant, was it a hotel that had this public swimming pool that was huge?
0: Was it the Hot Springs in Salida? I've got a, I'm not a local, but um, I just moved here four years ago, but a native over here that, is, that knows Colorado better than I do was thinking it might be Salida Hot Springs.
1: Well, whatever it was, I wrote a whole piece about it and it's in some notebook in a box somewhere about how how trippy it was because it was it was the winter but the water was really hot and which is what i love and the steam was coming up and there were all these people in there but you never you didn't really see them until you kind of got close and just kind of w- walking through this hot water in the, in this trippy john carpenter fog really great.
0: I'm a massive John Carpenter fan. I already thought you were awesome, but like you just went up another level, bringing up John Carpenter. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask about with Ghost Cat and everything, I noticed that you're calling it Surrealism, right?
1: Oh, yeah. That's my um, that's my art movement that uh, invite anybody to come a- come aboard. I have merch on my store mm. for Surrealism. I've been sewing. My grandmother taught me how to sew when I was about 12, and i made my own clothes for a while and she makes these really trippy things and she had these dolls that i ended up using for my pandemic youtube series what the fuck oh i shouldn't say that. we're right.
0: off air you're good i'll yep <laughs> oh you
1: can you can you can uh, bleep it out yep. wtf wtf 2020 <laughs> and that was a, a a series i did with my friend adam dugas who has uh directed Several of my recent videos, and because we were in lockdown, I would just videotape off my phone stuff using my grandmother's weird pipe cleaner crochet dolls and send it to him. And then we make these videos. So it's a it's a diary basically of our experiences in the pandemic, yeah. and I think it turned out really great. But I've been using just the DIY aesthetic was was definitely something my grandmother practiced. i like to call her an accidental outsider artist. (laughs) She's definitely an artist, and she made, she would, in, in the ghost cat video, we have this hooked rug that she made, and my father had it framed, and it was over his bed, and now it's over our bed, and it's my most treasured piece of art, and it's so trippy. And when you see the video, I'm kind of worshiping it, and and she at one point made a hook rug out of wonder bread wrappers oh my goodness she made a necklace out of turkey vertebrae she, <laughs> she didn't wear it she just hung it on the on the on a hook near the front door and never threw away anything and had this magical attic that was full of clothes and every issue of life magazine that had ever been published because people gave her things. My grandfather was a a Swedish evangelist minister. He ended up at the Presbyterian Church, and they had no money. Very, very poor during the Depression in West Virginia, you can imagine. Yeah. And they never threw away anything, and people would give them things, and she was given magazines by, by people who could afford them and then just kept it all. So I got obsessed with all this. I know so much about... World War II, because of these <laughs> Life magazines, I'm very obsessed with World War II, probably because it reminds me of being back there, yeah. and it was just a magical, safe place to be. She had a very laissez-faire attitude and made the most incredible Swedish cinnamon rolls, Ooh. and we just, I just had a lot of fun and watched a lot of monster movies. I was obsessed with, with horror films and science fiction movies, and there was a great guy who was the host out of um, Pittsburgh because Morgantown, where my grandmother lived, is that's where they got the TV channels. And you'll know this guy. His name was Bill Cardill, and he used the moniker Chili Billy Cardilly. And he <laughs> is in the original George Romero, Night of the Living Dead. Dude. And his daughter, I just found out, his daughter is the star of dawn of the dead
0: dude
1: which is an inc- incredible film which says so much about american society
0: hmm. that was one of my like first i li- watched a lot of horror growing up but i started feeling like i'm starting to watch the good horror once I once i caught dawn of the dead it's like okay i've leveled up now here so oh,
1: yes it Well, I I don't like it now because it's too sadistic, and once I started really reading about serial killers and what people do to people, mostly women, that I don't, I like monster movies, old-fashioned, the stuff from the 30s, the Universal Monsters, Dracula, Frankenstein. I had all those Aurora model kits. I loved all that stuff so much.
0: Well, I know we're getting close, so I want to ask you about one more thing uh, with Club Fifty Seven. I know there was the big art installation a few years ago, right? Um, oh
1: yes, yeah, so the uh, Museum of Modern Art did a retrospective of, of the um, the artistic activities that were were there at the club. That was in twenty seventeen to twenty eighteen, and it was hugely successful. They have a they made a fantastic catalog. Of it that uh, is available online which will give you all the information you need of them.
0: I didn't look it up online. Any idea if anyone's ever going to make a, a Club 57 documentary because I think it is ripe for that.
1: Well, there is um, there there is a, um, a a Polish filmmaker duo named the Kissinger Twins mm-hmm. and they are in the process of working on that because Stanley Strzokaki who founded the club is polish so they're going to focus on him but also the club and i also have some other friends who have a lot of footage from inside the club and they've been talking about doing that so you know i think there'll be there's a lot of um there's a lot of material out there that you could make five or ten different documentaries of course they would be all from different from people's different points of view
0: that's kind of the perfect but, way to do that though right i mean because that's what club 57 was about was so many different wild yeah, with point so of views much
1: different stuff going on there depending on who was the manager of the place and even when i was the manager i made a point of doing as many diverse strange things as possible and we did and the broad museum just did a retrospective of, of keith herring's work and part of that they asked me to recreate Club 57 as an homage, and we did two events here in July and September that were uh, resurrected, the spirit of Club 57, with many of the original members participating and new talent so that the the, uh, the spirit will live on. And Stanley had actually asked me to start something called the Club 57 Society to keep the legacy going in a very positive, open Exuberant, optimistic way And they I've got membership cards People can purchase on my website And a, a Club 57 calendar That I made uh, With all the different events And uh, there's a lot of stuff out there So with the things we did for the Broad At at the Zebulon Club Here in Silver Lake in Los Angeles The first one was a black and white ball Where everybody had to dress black and white As sort of an homage To the Truman Capote did a famous black and white ball with only the, the creme de la creme of high society <laughs> um, in 1966. And we would do things like a debutante ball and a prom and all this stuff that kind of making fun of, of exclusivity yeah. and the idea of high society, but making it our own. And we did that um, here in Los Angeles. And also with a nod to Ska and Two Tone and. Yeah. The whole, uh, the no wave and the new mm-hmm. wave favored the black and white, and people really turned out in the most fantastic outfits. And Joey Arias and I reprised our, our act, the Andy and Edie show, which is Andy Warhol and Edie Sedgwick Dude. doing oh. their version of the Sonny and Cher show. <laughs> and that was great fun, and there's a lot of photographs of all of this stuff. And I have an Instagram page called the Club, 50, Club 57 Society, at Club 57 Society. And there's a lot of stuff that's floating around there, a lot of photographs of, of then and now. And then the in September, we did the psychedelic happening, the psychedelic Dada Dayglo happening. So it was all psychedelia. And we, we, those were, we really loved psychedelia in the 60s, at Club yeah. 57, back in the 80s. There were a lot of those exploitation films about hippies and the trip, mm-hmm. the Roger Corman films. So we did that and resurrected this band that I started with Danny Johnson called Lama. Yeah. So we did that live, and that was a completely whacked-out trip and lots of fun. So the stuff is still going on, but it exhausted me. I, bet. I was so tired. So it's like, young kids, get your Club seven Society card, start your own, do it. Go for
0: it. Definitely, because... Just doing my research, I'm like so mad I was not born yet, or was would never be able to experience what it was like that club fifty seven vibe, and it just seems like the most incredible.
1: It was good. It was. It was. It had its ups and downs, of course. And then when sure. AIDS started to kill everybody, now you you're lucky you missed that. Yeah,
0: very true.
1: That was so traumatic, and all of us who have survived, and I've discussed this with many many of. Of us old timers, we all have PTSD from that, I no bet. doubt about it. And now we have PTSD from the current political.
0: No kidding. <laughs> um, real fast, did I see in making Mister Right the shoes that you wore? Did that have a Keith Herring design on them? Yes. Good. Yes. Okay. He, I,
1: Keith agreed to do that as long as I got to keep the shoes. So the... I still have. I still have the shoes. Yes. And I just did um, this summer. They they released a Blu-ray of, of making Mister Right and Susan Seidelman and I did a commentary and interviews for it and I'm selling those on my website too with some special Making Mister Right postcards and I have to make a postcard I have a great Polaroid I have all the Polaroids from the eighties and and different TV shows because everybody used to take Polaroids for for continuity yeah got to start posting those on Instagram but I've got one that I've got a really good one of those shoes that um, I'll have to make a postcard of and and add
0: that to the bundle. You're just never going to stop working, are you?
1: I guess not. I I always say, I've got to take a break, and then I'll take a little vacation. But I have, yeah, I inherited um, a restlessness that my mother had, absolutely. And she was very, very interested in a multitude of cultural things, always kind of forced us to watch... Leonard Bernstein's uh, concerts for young people on television and I think those will probably be in this new movie that yeah. Bradley Cooper did I'm very curious about that because Leonard Bernstein was a huge influence as well that because my mother wanted us to be exposed to this stuff and and there were many opportunities on television in the 60s of of a lot of highbrow culture as well as Lobra but I think we had Motown and fantastic bands, and the Smothers Brothers and laugh and as well as these incredible documentaries and very very intelligent news programs of people who were you know, we had, this was a generation that lived through the Depression and World War II. It's not like these bozos who are trying to run things now who are <laughs> moronic idiots. <laughs> these people were smart, 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 and and they were, did not want to have a repeat of fascism. So there, I feel very lucky that, that I was exposed to all these things, and... And wanted to continue that kind of, you know, in exposure and investigation into into a deeper, main, more meaningful things than the Kardashians or this BS yep. of people, the TikToks. And you now you can find some good stuff in there. Sure, but boy, you really have to wade through a lot of crap.
0: That's there is just so much crap in the world, and I'm glad we've got you in it at least uh-huh. to provide some crap or at least expose some of the crap, too, honestly.
1: Well, we'll, we'll give it a the good old college try. Right. I completely forgot, and I'm going to give you the exclusive of this. Oh! Vulcan Death Grip has been recording again.
0: No
2: way!
1: <laughs> yeah. Sorry.
0: <laughs> did that, uh, did that insp- was that inspired by doing Star Trek? You're like, well, if I'm going to do this, let's get back into it. <laughs>
1: it wasn't but i'll tell you i just thought and this was a few years ago when i had a little more energy i mean each year it gets to be a little less and less feel it but i contacted them i said you know we really need to you know make good on um our our plan on doing of of reviving uh vulcan death grip as old people because we always (laughs) joked when we were younger we were going to do that and have an album called Metal Menopause. So now I will say with great pride and some secrecy that a new song called Metal Menopause now exists. It made in 2024.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, worth the wait. I'll say that. It's worth the okay. wait. Um, okay. and I'll good. say real fast the reason the uh, the that you had to audition for the Picard role kind of surprised me. It felt like it was like created for you, if only because if I wa- I rewatched it again last night, and like the character was basically expressing like a sort of Nancy Reagan esque attitude about one of the other Star Trek races of like, nope, let him, we have to let him die. Um, and <laughs> I thought this was like. Like a specific thing to be like, hey, do you want to rip on those assholes that let your friends die back in the eighties? Basically, so well, oh,
1: that's a really, that's a really good take on that. That's a really good take.
0: Yeah, well, uh, I'm, that's going to be what I consider in my head now. Like, I'm just going to refuse to believe they made you audition and that they were like, "Anne, this role was yeah. made for you. This is this is yours."
1: So. No, Michael told me at one point when I auditioned, for, I just was. Audition for the other thing that when he found out we can get Ann Magnuson but I don't think anybody else knew who I was but he did so uh-huh. thank you Michael
0: <laughs> thank, for uh, real uh, thanks <laughs> him, thanks to him for bringing some novelistic writing style oh, yeah, to Star Trek tried, and,
1: there was a lot more that was he tried but yeah. I think they went for the fan service yup yup oh that reminds me I, I wrote some songs um also over the pandemic and I'd like to record them and one of them is called The Ballad of the Missing Admiral. Ooh. And it's all about Kirsten Clancy. Yes. And what we didn't get to see on on air. Oh
0: man. I if they cut a single line from you, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop watching Star Trek now out of out of They revenge.
1: They, they did.
0: These bastards. How dare <laughs> they? because that. Oh was... yeah,
1: there's quite a there's quite a quite of interesting story there, but I don't know if I'm contractually even allowed to talk about that. But one day I will. Not that it's that important, but the song.
0: As a, <laughs> the song. It's important. The song to me. is
1: good. The it, song is good. It, it came from. It actually was the kind of song I would have sang in fourth grade with with you know Peter Paul and Mary. Ah
0: oh, yes. I will be sitting around waiting with with bated breath or whatever for that. Oh man!
1: You know, back to you know. I even say I can't do this DIY stuff anymore. It's too exhausting. I I, I don't have the money for it, and I, but then these ideas come, and then I pick up the guitar, and then I think, you know what? I got to record these songs. <laughs>
0: You've got a calling, man. Because I feel that too. I tend to not be able to shut off my creative side, and it gets exhausting. But then it just the ideas just keep coming, and what are you going to do, right? You,
1: you got them. You've got to manifest. Okay. Well, it's been okay. a real pleasure. I uh, thank you so much for being so enthusiastic and for letting me ramble
0: on. Oh, thank you for rambling. Any time.